This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you brought your Bible, if you didn't, there's some in the chairs close by. You can probably reach one under one of the blue chairs or in the back of some of the green chairs and find 2 Corinthians. We're in a series here in Nags Head Church. One more uh, message to go in this series, The Test of Genuine Love from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And today we're going to talk about the fact that when I get in on God's grace to give, good things happen. I'm going to start off in just a moment reading verses 10 and 11, but one of the things I want to point out about them before we read them is that a lot of, lot of scholars believe that verses 10 and 11 might actually be a Pauline prayer, something a prayer that as he's writing this letter to this church in Corinth, he says, let me pray with you all for just a moment. You know, they couldn't see Paul, couldn't hear him, they're miles away, separated, there's no telephone, there's no Facebook chat, there's none of those kind of things, but he includes in a lot of his letters prayers for the churches to whom he writes. It was one way Paul practiced what he preached when he wrote to the Thessalonians that were to pray without ceasing. It's as though he said, hey, you know what? I'm writing to you this letter, church, and I just feel right now the need to offer up a prayer for you, a prayer of thanksgiving to God. And he would share that prayer with them in the letter. And here's what he wrote. Now the one, and he's talking about God the Father there. Now the one who provides seed for the sower. This is the person that he's encouraging the Corinthians to be as they give an offering to the Jerusalem church that's in in great need. The one who provides the seed for the sower, that's the giver, and bread for food, those are the ones in need that the offering's going to take care of. This God will provide and multiply your seed, what you're able to do, what you're able to give, and increase the harvest of your righteousness as you are enriched in every way for all generosity. If you're taking notes this morning, the first point is simply this. He provides all that is needed. We have a definition around here at Nag said Church for the word all. And the all means all, and that's all, all means. And God says in his word, he's going to provide everything, all that's needed. He provides to the giver so the giver can give. Where does it come from if God wants me to be generous? Where does that seed come from. It comes from God. When you and I, think about this with me, you and I who are Christians, when we became Christian and we do so by faith in Jesus Christ, I can go back to the time in my life when I was a 10-year-old boy when the gospel was presented to me in a way I could understand it. And God said, as this God said, look, Rick, believe this. I sent Jesus to die for you so you could have eternal life. And I did. I became a Christian at that point. The Bible says at that moment in time, we are redeemed. And the word redeemed means that we are purchased by God. He's bought and paid for us, and he paid a tremendous price for you and me, the blood, the life of his only son, Jesus. So if God has bought and paid for me, if he's redeemed me, that means my life And everything in it, everything I possess now doesn't really belong to me. It belongs to him if I'm a Christian. Now, I'm talking about stepping up on the ladder of grace here. And this is going to be a step for some of you today that I hope you'll take to realize that. His grace then, Paul says in these verses, his grace provides us with the resources, all that we need 
to give. Now, some people are going to protest right away and say, wait a second, you don't understand. I worked really hard for the money that I have. You know, I, I've worked 40 hours a week or whatever it might be. It doesn't come easy. Maybe I work an extra job. I work real hard. Are you telling me that's not mine? I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, it's not yours. I'm telling you, it belongs to the one who owns you, and he provided that for you. I, I remember the some of you have perhaps seen the movie, uh, the Jimmy Stewart movie, Shenandoah. It's about the Civil War, and he's the father of this family in the Shenandoah Valley, and they're not really into the war, and he's not. And there's this one scene where he gathers his family around the table, and, and he's a religious man to a point. He goes to church and sees that his family goes to the church there every Sunday, and, and is, but, but he really doesn't get it. And he leads them in prayer, and I can't quote his prayer verbatim, but his prayer essentially says something like this, God, I'm the one that went out there and cut down the trees. I'm the one that cleared the field. I'm the one that plowed the field. I'm the one that planted the seed. I'm the one that tended the seed. I'm the one that harvested the, the, the crop that's on our table today. So I'm not sure what I'm thanking you for, but let's eat. That's kind of the prayer he prayed. He doesn't get it. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, everything you have has been provided for, for you by God. What about my job? Who gives you the skill to do that job? Who provided that job for you in the first place? You, got, you have to realize God's involved in every part of my life. We have to get to the point, Christian, when we stop, and this is a step up the ladder, when I stop compartmentalizing my life and say, okay, God, six days of the week are mine, Sunday I'll give to you, okay? 90% of everything I make is mine, I'll give you 10. We have to stop saying that. We have to realize everything that I possess belongs to God. It's his, he's provided it for me. As Christians, we, we don't just work to provide for our biological families, but we work to provide for our spiritual families. Well, even people we have not ever met, which was happening here in Corinth and with the offering to the, to the Christians in Judea and Jerusalem. So if God blesses you, he expects you to give part of it back to him so it can be dispersed where there's need. So Paul says, in order to do that, we get this grace and God enriches us in every way. By the way, it's not just about money. How has God enriched you in your life? He has enriched me in so many ways in my life, in experiences, in people, in, in those that, that care for me and those that love me and those uh, that, that I meet in life. God's blessed me in so many ways so I can be generous. And when you give, it's the, you know, earlier in the chapter he said it's like sowing and reaping. It's the farmer when you give planting the seed that produces the grain so the grain can become the bread for the needy. And you say, well, I planted it. Sure you did. But by the grace of God, you planted it. Still, it comes from God. The harvest is God. The increase is here for God to use to further his kingdom. And so that's why Paul says in that verse, increase the harvest of your righteousness, your act of giving, your willing to share, your willing to be gracious and generous. God provides it start to finish. See, as Christians, we have to, and this is in your notes, I think, we have to establish this fact that everything I have is already his. Everything I have is already his. And when a Christ follower, as, as a Christian, when you step up on that rung of the ladder and accept that and realize that, that it's all been provided by him and for him because it's all his already to begin with, it really is a freeing thing 
that to, and it, and it kind of cuts us loose. And what do you mean? Well, if everything I have belongs to him, when my car breaks down, you know, somewhere out there somewhere in my car, I can say, Lord, your car's busted. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> it's your car. I mean, I've given it. It belongs to you. It's not mine. I'm just getting to use it. How, uh, we got to figure out how do we get this fixed, Lord. Would you please help out with that since it belongs to you? Do, do you? do you really pray stuff like that to God? All the time. All right, all the time. Lord, this is your house. This is your, my possessions. These are your things. God, uh, th- these are your pants, and they're getting a little bit tight right now. Would you have, you know... <laughs> Everything I have belongs to the Lord. And that is a freeing realization. But if you are still in the, God, this is mine and that's yours, if you're still in that phase of life, you're going to miss the freedom that comes with placing all of your possessions back in his hands. We just sang a few, a few moments ago. The word said, I know I'm in the palm of your hand. Was that just you or is that everything that you have? It needs to be all, all that you have. Back in the palm of his hand, the Bible says that we are stewards. The word steward simply means I am a manager of someone else's property. You see, I understand that as a Christian, Paul sold the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. He said, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which is his. I understand that as a Christian, I own nothing because I am owned by Christ. And that's a big lesson to learn. One of the obligations that we have as Christians is to teach our children the graces of God. We should not only be the ones as parents to have the privilege of leading our children to faith in Christ, and I hope every parent gets that opportunity in your life, but we should also have the the experience of leading them, leading our children to understand all of his graces, including the grace of giving. I've asked one of our couples here in our church this morning, Mike and Maria Mandis, to come and share how they do that in their home. So would you welcome the Mandises as they come this morning and share with us? Good morning. I'm Mike. This is my lovely wife, Maria. We have three wonderful children, Sarah, who's 15, uh, Jacob is 14, and Leah is 11. And two of them are out in the lobby right now. Sarah's out of town this weekend, so she's not here. Uh, We work at the kiosk every Sunday at the 9 o'clock service, checking the kids into their classrooms. Um, Pastor Rick asked us to speak today about how how we taught our kids to give. In order to get to where we are today, we need to go back about 22 years. As single Christian adults, Maria and I already knew the importance of giving that had been taught to us by our pastors. So when we got married, we already had the discipline of regular giving in our own lives. When the kids were born, they would often sit with us in church, usually in the back row, wiggling. Sometimes they didn't like to go to class. They would see us put the envelope in the in the offering basket as it was passed around. Many times we let, one, um, we let one of them hold the envelope and put it in so they could see the giving. So during their very young years, they learned about that, you know, our giving by seeing us give as parents. As the kids grew older, we started having conversations around the dining room table about what the Bible says about giving. 
and what a tithe means. We often shared about the blessings we received because of our faithful giving. We taught that giving back to God shows him that we love him. We also talked about where the money goes, that it goes beyond this building to missionaries and outreach projects in the community. As each of them grew older, they earned money doing extra chores around the house. And when they turned about nine years old, they started getting small jobs in the neighborhood, such as cat sitting and dog walking and babysitting and um, pulling weeds. When they brought their earnings home, we would say to them, how much are you going to give to God at church? We would help them figure this out. Then they would place their offering in an envelope like this that we keep in the kitchen. The envelopes then came to church on Sunday mornings so they could each hand in their own offering. Giving wasn't an option, but we didn't have to force them to give either. It was easy because of all they had seen and heard. Today, we're happy to say that all three of the children give on their own. Uh, they come in and out during the day, all week long with their jobs. They grab their envelopes and put their money in. Then on Sundays, they tuck their envelopes in their Bible, bring it to church, and put their money in the offering. Sarah this year has even sent up, set up her own online giving account. We explain to them that 10% is a good starting point, but they often give more. And this habit of giving has overflowed into more giving. They give of their time at the outreach projects that we do here at church, the baby bottles that we just collected, and they love filling the shoe boxes at Christmas time. As parents, it's our responsibility to teach our kids to give, to give cheerfully and to give generously. Our kids, our own kids, have been very blessed by their regular giving. They've received camp scholarships, movie tickets. Uh, they get to meet the missionaries when they come in throughout the year. They get more jobs in the neighborhood, and they get that joyful feeling inside. And as they have, they have seen with their own eyes over and over again, God promises to take care of us when we give, and that makes it easy for them to give. Thank you. One of the things I've noticed with uh, the Mandises, and they've been around here for years, so we've watched their kids grow up, is their kids have been not only, I didn't know about their kids working, and I didn't know any of the story until I asked them to share how they've taught their kids, but I've watched them come and, and their children uh, be involved in different ministry things, whether it's our Operation Backpack, uh, our, our lifeguard dinners, the kids are involved in giving back in ways other than money as well. And that's been because of the example of mom and dad. Some of you are not givers in your adult life because you never had parents like this. And, and I'm sad because I wish all of our parents would take the time to do exactly what Mike and Maria have done and make it an example so that the children will follow and follow easily. We're going to give right now. And uh, I'm going to ask Pastor Steve Wise to come and lead us in that part of our worship. As you can see, the um, Outer Banks is full this week. It's one of the busiest weeks that we have, the traffic and all like that. And, um, and we're especially excited that um, you're here today. Um, we have um, uh, an opportunity to um, baptize some people after the service. We're looking forward to that and, um, and would like to um, invite everyone to come out uh, for that as well. Um, as we give, uh, we know we have a lot of guests, and we don't expect you to give in our offering, but, um, but if you'd like to, you're, you're welcome to do that. Let's go to him in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for um, 
this week that we um, celebrate our nation's birth. The, uh, we thank you that um, we can see how that our nation was founded on you and just how that you've had your hand upon us um, throughout the years. We pray that you would continue to be um, with our nation, our leaders, and uh, continue to bless us. We um, thank you for the uh, opportunity we have now to um, give. Pray that you would just bless this ministry as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Point number two, your notes, he, God, 
gets the thanks and the glory. He gets the thanks and the glory. How does he get the thanks? Well, the first thing Paul tells us is those who administer the gift will thank God. Look what he says to them in verse 11. He told the Corinthians that their generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. Well, who is the us that Paul's speaking of here? The us would be him. It would be probably Timothy, who was with him as he wrote this letter. And I would think it would be Titus and the other two men that we're told about in chapter 8 who are going down to Corinth to receive the offering and then deliver it to the saints in Jerusalem. He says it causes us to produce thanksgiving to God. Christian leaders, pastors, and let me say Christian leaders in the home like Mike and Maria, parents of children, We love to see those that we leave follow the Lord. There's no greater blessing for a pastor than to see uh, people in the flock following Christ and stepping up the steps of grace on the ladder, if you will. And it causes us to thank the Lord when we see it happening. Just like you parents, when you see your kids do something good, when, when you know, these, these parents see their children um, producing income and then giving it back to the Lord, it, it, it causes them to thank God. They're thankful for it. We pray and we work as shepherds, as Paul and Timothy and Titus did, to encourage the church to follow Christ, to receive his graces in your lives. But the thanks didn't just come from Paul and Timothy and Titus. Those who were blessed will act in thanks and glory to God. Look what Paul said in verses 12 and verse 13. He said, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, not only is it giving them bread to eat, he says, but it's overflowing in many acts, things that we do to thank God. And they, the Jerusalem Christians who are receiving this offering, the ones who are in famine, the ones who are starving when it comes and they're able to eat and feed their families, he said, they're going to do many acts of thanksgiving to God and they will glorify God. Giving is a, a form of ministry that we all do. If I was to just kind of close my eyes this morning and go, kind of go around the room and stop and point at somebody and then look at who I'm pointing to and say, you, I want you to come up right now and finish my sermon. Most of you would shudder in fear. You would say, there is no way I get up in front of all these people and try to do that. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because you're not gifted to do it. Because it's not what God has called you to do. And we have a lot of ministry going on all over our church this morning. Our band leads us in worship. We've got folks in the back of the room making sure you can hear me, making sure you can see the notes. We have folks upstairs with our children. We have folks downstairs in our nursery. We've had folks that got here early and made coffee and set out things for you to munch on before you came in. We have folks that came in last week and cleaned. We have folks that are counting the offering this morning and they're going to deposit it in the bank. So we have lots and lots and lots and lots of ministry things that take place every week here. And people function best in ministry when they do what God has shaped them and gifted them to do. But one thing that we can all do is give. And that's what Paul's telling them here. You're able to give. God gives you all the grace to do that. And the bigger picture of the giving is not just, I'm giving this so the Jerusalem Christians can be fed. That's not the bigger picture Paul wanted this Corinthian church to see. He wanted them to see your gift, no matter how large or how small, brings glory to God. It causes them to act in deeds of thankfulness. Some of you here 
last week um, as, as uh, Sergei Botenko, who is one of our missionaries that we support. He's over in Ukraine. That's his home country. And God saved him during the years of communism there and led him into ministry. And, and he told us, he was a little bit, for some of us who were here, you had a hard time understanding everything Sergei said because he's Ukrainian. He's got a heavy, thick accent. But one of the things that maybe you didn't pick up on was him telling us that one of the things that we were able to do last year in Ukraine ended up in over 5,000 people putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What a great thing for us to hear because he wanted us to know and we should understand that we had a part in the conversion of over 5,000 people last year in the Ukraine because you give to the Lord here. Sergei is able to lead those ministries there and God gets the glory because lives were forever changed. It is no little thing, church, when you give by grace, when you are generous, it's no empty ritual as we pass those bags along and we give by grace because the outcome of your giving is that somewhere in this world, it might be right here in this room, it might be in India, it might be in Ukraine, it might be in France, it might be in South America, somewhere in this, in this world, someone is going to, God is going to be glorified because somebody's life is changed because you participated in that offering. And that's what you were created to do, is give God glory. So when you give an offering with a cheerful and generous spirit, as Paul talked about last week, you know, giving with a cheerful heart. When you do that, you're worshiping, and the result is that someone else in this world is going to get to worship God as well. Because of your ministry of giving. It's a chain reaction. But there are a couple of temptations I want to warn you about in giving. I thought giving was a good thing. Giving can be a bad thing. Giving can be a sinful thing. How? Jesus gave us an example. Um, the, the, well, Paul gave one first to Timothy that I want to share with you this morning, and that is this. When we view giving as a means of obtaining riches, that's a temptation we need to avoid. The Bible tells us this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, but those who want to be rich fall into a temptation fall into a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, money, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now, there are some preachers and teachers in this world who would teach you that God wants every Christian to be wealthy. I, have a, I struggle with that because I've been to third world countries and seen people who are Christians who are far better Christians than I could ever imagine to be, and they are dirt poor. They've got nothing financially. So that blows that theory out of the water. If God wanted them to be wealthy, they would not have been born in the status where they are and will remain there their whole lives. Uh, God doesn't necessarily want you to be wealthy, but one way these teachers teach that is they tell us that the way to become wealthy is first to give, and if you give, God's bound to give back to you in financial wealth. And, and you know, if you'll send me $1,000, they tell us over the TV, then God's going to send you back 10000 And Paul says many people, in trying to get rich through their giving, have discovered their lives, their faith destroyed. How is that? Well, 
What if God doesn't give you that 10,000? And so many people have believed that, that line, and as a result, they've lost their faith. Listen, so, many, so that many people will give, they don't do it by grace, they do it by coercion, and they believe it's the secret to becoming rich. Be careful about desiring to be rich, and be careful about thinking, I can use God to get me there. God will not be used by any man. Do you understand that? God's not there for me to use. I'm here for him to use. Big difference in that. Second temptation is giving so that others will somehow admire you, think you're special, look up to you and, and because of how much you give. Jesus warned in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he said, be careful not to practice your righteousness. In the context, if you read the verses around it, he's talking about giving. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Don't do it so that everybody will see what you're doing. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, he's speaking about a very common practice in his day by the Pharisees. They were the Jewish fundamentalists of his day, and they would, when offering time came, when they came up to the temple with their offering, trumpets would blow. Somebody would be there to sound a trumpet, causing everybody around in the traffic on the sidewalks to stop and look and see what was happening. And they would go to the offering box, and so that everybody could see, they would put in their offering, their tithe, to draw other people's attention. And Jesus said by doing that, they got the glory. It would be like you and I today. When the offering bag came by, you know, just a few minutes ago, when, as Steve led us in the offering and, and we gave, if before you gave, you held up your offering in your hand and waved it around so everybody could see what you were doing and then put it in. And we would say, I would never do that. Good. Because Jesus said what he said about them. If you do that, you've got your reward. Don't expect anything from God for, with that kind of an attitude. That's not what God blesses. That's a temptation into sin. Perhaps those Pharisees, maybe they got words of thanks for the priests for their large donations. By the way, the one thing that I'm grateful for, because I, I'm a pastor here, I'm also on staff here, which means I also get paid a salary from what you give. There are people who, in the community that believe I get it all. There are people in the community who believe I own all this. This is all mine, you know, somehow, and I'm thinking, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but there are people that... that you know, would think, I'm so glad that as a pastor, here's where I was going with that, who gets a, a salary, I don't know what you give. I don't want to know what you give because I don't want the temptation of me liking some of you better than others because you give more than somebody else. I don't want to have that temptation. I want to like you all or hate you all the same, okay? So <laughs> just kidding about the hate part. When we desire the glory when we desire the thanks for what we've given, we are taking the glory and the thanks out of God's hands. Amen. And the grace is no longer part of that picture. Number three, my faith is proven to me and to others. Verse 13, Paul said they, speaking of those starving Christians in Jerusalem who are gonna get this offering, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others through the proof 
provided by this service. First of all, that confession of the gospel. They'll glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ. Today we're following this gathering. We're going over to the town hall, parking area, and crossing the the street going over the beach to the ocean, and 10 folks are following Christ in believer's baptism. They are publicly confessing their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have believed the gospel and are trusting Christ, have trusted Christ as Savior, and they want us all to know about it. That's one way that we confess the gospel of Christ, but there are other ways we confess it as well. When you and I who are Christians believed the gospel, And Jesus became our Savior. He changed our lives forever. And when we believe the gospel, it then becomes the motivation behind what drives us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it propels us to do good works that glorify the Lord. And for the Christian, for the Corinthian Christians in this context, their gift, Paul said, is going to do just that. It's going to be their confession to the Jerusalem believers of their belief in Christ. It was proof that they were believers. Giving in his grace. And some of you have not discovered that yet. Giving in his grace is an experiment that proves my belief and trust in Jesus is real. The word proof here in this verse is from a word that means trial or it means experiment. Grace enables you and me to take that next step up the ladder of grace and find out, is what God promises, is it really true when it comes to this thing about giving by grace? And just as Paul had said in chapter 8, as we introduced this whole series, he said, this giving by grace is a test, a proof of the genuineness of your love for God and for others by what you give. It was proof that their, their gift would honor the Lord. It will prove that you've really been changed by the gospel. Some of us have already been there. Some of you maybe are going there today or sometime in the next few weeks as this word of God uh, seeps into your heart and begins to change you by his grace. But the first time that you give in the power of his grace, you, you do more than just give a tip. You give in the power of his grace, it's an experiment for you. And this series has hopefully challenged many of you to venture into God's grace for giving. God says, do this. And he says, if I do this, he will provide for me, not just for my needs. He'll provide the seed, if you will, for me to plant, to give. And it might not make sense right now to you, but you're going to try and you're going to see. And you've heard the stories as uh, Sunday after Sunday, we've had different partners like Mike and Maria come up and share what God's taught them and how God's given them this grace to give and how they've taken that step and they've done the experiment and they have discovered that God keeps his word. And when you try it out yourself and you do the giving experiment in your life and you discover it works, it's like that moment when you discover, you realize all I have is his. I give it all to him. And it's freeing when you do that. When you go and you learn how to give to God by his grace, it's another wow moment in your spiritual walk. It's another step of growth in his grace. As you go, wow, God really does do amazing things by his grace. That's why we sing about it that way. It's amazing. And we discover what that means in our lives. We need those wow moments. Every single one of us who are believers. Because they're proof 
not only to me as I step up in grace, but they're proof to those who are blessed by my generosity that I'm living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think it's proof to our community, and we'll do this in August. Proof to our community that Jesus is real when we open up this building because we've collected thousands of dollars of school supplies and we give them away to children who are needy for them and we say, please take them, they're free. What does that say to our community about our God? It's proof of God's grace working in us. And when I give, it's proof to those who, who receive it and, and, and are blessed by it that I'm living out the gospel of Christ. I want you to remember, he did not just save you so that you could have a fire insurance policy, so that you could escape hell, so that you could have eternal life. That's not the only reason that he saved us. The Bible tells us he saved us to live out his life here on earth in us and to make it clear that we're doing that by the works that we do. Paul wrote that to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Let's read that verse. I want you to read it aloud together with me. It's up on the screen for you. Read it with me. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are his masterpiece. I was watching last, yesterday evening. I I like to watch the show Counting Cars on the History Channel. Any of you guys watch that show? I love to watch, girls too, the girls are going, Uh, I love to watch that show because they take old, beat up, rusted automobiles and what's left of them and they work on them and they restore them completely and they'll take an old piece of junk and turn it into a brand new car, brand new body shape, not shape, but brand new body work, brand new paint, brand new uh, interior seats and dash and, 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 and brand new engine, tires, wheels, the whole nine yards. They completely restore that car. And those guys, as they, and I love to watch the show, as the, the owner of that car comes to pick it up and they deliver that car to the owner. Those guys are some kind of proud of what's happened, what the work that they've done, because it's their masterpiece. They've invested time and they've invested effort and they've invested sweat and, 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 and love in what they're doing and they love it so much to hand the keys and see the expression on the owner's face with this brand new redone automobile that they've done. It's, it's amazing. They're so glad of their, ma- proud of their masterpiece. I think that's how God views you and me because he takes those of us who are broken and broken down and ruined and rusted and, and had no future and had no hope and maybe you're lying in a junk heap somewhere and he's brought us and given us new life and he has transformed us from the inside out and given us everything new that was old. We are his masterpiece, but we're his masterpiece to do what? Paul said to do good works and show everybody else how wonderful he indeed is. We're his masterpiece. And there's another special benefit that God provides for us when we learn to give graciously and generously to him. Let's finish up with verse 14. And they will have, talking again about the Jerusalem believers, Corinthians, they will have deep affection for you and their prayers on your behalf because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Point number four, those who receive will love and pray for me. Hey, you know what? Uh, don't raise your hand because if I ask this question, but how many people want to be loved? The answer is everybody. We all want to be loved, don't we, by somebody. 
You know, everybody wants to know somebody cares about me. Everybody wants to know somebody loves me. And everybody wants to know that others are praying for them as well. That's a neat thing to know, that people are praying for you. It's neat when, uh, when a prayer request comes up within our church and there in our Facebook group, people post their requests and, and other people check in and they see that and they say, hey, and they click on it and say, I'm praying for you. What a blessing it is for me to know that, that uh, people are praying for me. But people want to be prayed for. This morning, um, as I finished breakfast, I ate breakfast often down at the pier, Nags Head Pier, and, and uh, often on Sundays, um, the, the, the folks there know that when I leave breakfast, I'm coming here to, to do whatever they think I might do here. They really don't know because they haven't been here yet for the most part. But, but they know he's a pastor, and he's going to do whatever it is the preachers do. And, and as, I, as I paid for my breakfast this morning, the, the lady at the register, and she often says this to me as I walk out, she says, say a special prayer for us today. Everybody wants to know somebody else is praying for them. And Paul said that's the outcome of when we give by God's grace. When you and I say to the Lord, God, I want to know your grace in my life. I'm tired of limping along in my own power and my own ability. I want you, God, to please do in me beyond what I'm able to do for myself. And that's what grace is, God's power to do in me beyond what I'm able to do. He surpasses what I thought might happen. He goes beyond what we expected. And the impact that grace has on you and me then, here's what Paul's saying. When God's grace is working in my life, it overflows into the lives of those our generosity reaches. Some of you who are here this morning, you're trophies of God's grace. And by that I mean this. Some of you did not know Christ until someone from Nags Head Church brought the gospel to you and witnessed to you or invited you to come to church where here you discovered life in Christ. And your testimony, your story is this. I love this church. If for no other reason than God used this church to reach me. And by his grace, he changed my life because of what's happening in this church. Your life was changed because someone at some time gave so Nag said church could be here. Let me tell you something you probably aren't aware of, but we have, in our records, we have a little bookkeeper's book, little ledger book, and, and it dates back to the late 1940s when the vision for this church first began. And a little group of people got together and they, they wanted to buy a little piece of property and they wanted to erect a little building on it so they would have a place to call home as a church. And you open that book up and you read and there's a listing of the people with their names and what they gave and you read that, and there's the names, and it'll have somebody's name, and then beside it, it will say 50 cents. And somebody else's name will say a dollar. And someone else's name, it'll be a quarter. And there are page after page after page of folks, and I don't know these folks. I just know their names. Haven't ever met most of them. A few. They're mostly dead and gone. But 65 years ago, they were giving money a quarter and 50 cents and a dollar at a time so that God would have this piece of property over here and so that a building would be erected there so the gospel would be preached so that one day down the line, some of you would come to know Jesus Christ. And we don't know those folks, but we ought to be thankful to God for them this morning. 
Not only do those impacted by God's people being generous love them, they pray for them. And Paul was telling these guys, you know, these folks at Jerusalem, when this offering is delivered to them, when they receive this, at a time when they're so desperate, they're going to realize that Gentile Christians, Greek Christians in Macedonia and Corinth, the Greeks of all people, they're different from us, different culture, different language, different race. We who believe all these years that we were God's chosen people, now God's using them to save us. They're going to pray for you because prayer changes things. Prayer makes a difference. And I'll bet you're just like me. I am thankful to God, to people who pray for, pray for me. I'll just confess to you, I need all the prayers I can get. Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians in this letter worked, by the way. Listen to what he wrote later to the Romans. Listen to these words. This is after all this. He said, now, however, I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. We're taking this offering there. For Macedonia and Achaia, where Corinth was located, they were pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Paul was rejoicing to be able to carry that offering back to Jerusalem for the church there. Now listen, sometimes in life, you're going to get to be the farmer. There are times in your life when God's going to bless you with the grace, with the seed, if you will, so that you can plant, so that others can benefit from your generosity. Some of you are in that place in life right now. Others of you might be, you're not in that place right now, and God is going to, in this time in your life, this season of your life, you might be the receiver of that gracious giving, but it all comes from God, whether it's the seed or the bread that it produces. All of it comes from God, and giving by grace, I want us to understand here, is not limited to those who have the gift of giving, not limited to to those who have the ability to make a lot of money. It's not limited to those who don't live as most Americans do. I found out this week, paycheck to paycheck. It's not limited to the well-off who have extra income. As Paul showed with the Macedonians in the first part of chapter 8, anyone, even those who themselves are in poverty, can be farmers, sowing the seed, giving generously, if they look to God's grace to provide the seed. Paul told the Philippians, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Some of you have the desire. That's the first step. Ask God to give you the power, the grace, to be generous. I want us to right now to pause and pray. I want you to close your eyes with me right now. And I want you to think back in your own life to the person or to the church that gave so you could hear about Christ. Or think about the church that gave and met a need in your life during a crisis. And then I want us to take a moment just in silence right now to thank God for that church, to thank God for that person, that group. As I did this in the last gathering, I sat down. I didn't know who I was going to thank God for, and God reminded me of the little church in Jacksonville, North Carolina. I went by there a couple of years ago. Gail and I visited, and I went by where that church was, and there's still a church there. The building is no longer there that I accepted Christ in. But I met the pastor, and I told him, those people here back in the late 1960s, there was a church here, and here this little 10-year-old boy 
heard the gospel and trusted Jesus as Savior. None of those people are still around there now, but I owe them thanks, and I thank God for them. And I spent just a moment in the last gathering saying, Lord, thank you for those people. Thank you for the grace. Thank you that they gave so I could hear the gospel. And my life was changed because of them. I don't know them. I'll see them in heaven. Take a moment and thank God for somebody who's been gracious. And because of that grace, God's changed you. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.